Welcome to episode 5 part 2. Hello! Have you listened to part 1 yet? Because this is part 2. Yes, so if you haven't heard part 1 yet, you jumped ahead. Go back, start with episode 5 part 1, and then come back to this. This is episode 5 part 2. So here's a thought about Paul's jealousy in relation to the breakup. What would have happened if Paul had invited Yoko to join the band? Could that have solved a lot of their problems? Assuming George and Ringo went for it too? Yes. Which Assuming is certainly... an alternate universe where... <laughs> yeah, where George allows... Like, I actually yeah. think Ringo probably would go along with it. Probably. Maybe. Probably be Maybe. like, yeah. George, yeah. I'm having a hard time picturing George, you know getting bumped well, even further down the down the ladder down the ladder exactly <laughs> yeah and also mm. not saying paul should have done it I, i'm just i'm no, just no. saying <laughs> no it's it's a terrible idea but yeah. but let's but let's say assuming that paul is the the main roadblock which i think is fair to say to yoko uh-huh. joining the band right i don't think jealousy is the only reason that paul wouldn't want yoko in the band um like i don't think he secretly wishes that there were more yoko tracks on the beatles albums but his jealousy is getting in the way of allowing him Mm. you know what i mean like i don't really think that that's the case Mm -hmm. but having said that like i do believe (laughs) that paul really cherished and protected the lennon mccartney songwriting team of course and I do think he wanted their partnership to remain exclusive and remain the nucleus of the Beatles. Mm-hmm. And I think he would not have been open to adding anyone. Well, I can I can sort of like see how maybe there could be a circumstance where someone else could join the Beatles, but not someone else join Lennon McCartney. And that's what would happen if Yoko became a Beatle because yeah. she's John's wife. And I absolutely agree. Like, Lennon and McCartney is sacred to Paul. Yes. And and even though he doesn't have the terror of abandonment to the level that John does, like I until John gave him reason to worry about it, I don't think Paul ever worried that Uh John was going to leave him. But I absolutely think he was possessive of John and that he never wanted to give up you know space or time in john's life like he did he never wanted to have any less of john than he was used to having because he loves john and he loves spending time with him and wants john to love him it's fun to be in a relationship where you're like you're my favorite person oh you're my favorite person like that just feels good yeah i super agree with that and i was gonna say the same thing which is i think he's more possessive maybe than he is jealous but Definitely. I guess it just depends yeah. on, you know, however you want to use that. I, sometimes I think John uses the word jealous when he means other things, too. Of course. Possessive or envious or yeah, yeah. competitive. Yeah. Exactly. Like, I think he kind of uses even, it as a catch-all. <laughs> yeah, or even just, like, hostile. That's true. <laughs> However, I definitely believe that he does not want to share John. No. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And that's where I think the jealousy with Yoko comes in is that when she's there, he feels like he has to share Jean and he's like, this is bullshit. Yeah. And it's hurtful. Like, I feel like Mm -hmm. it's genuinely hurtful to him. Yeah. 
as it would be but you you know you mm-hmm. love someone who's your your special person you don't want to have to share them yeah it goes beyond just like having a friend who has a new friend that they hang out with yeah john and yoko are a whole thing whether or not paul was convinced that was genuine or had any chance of longevity either way it was very very intense and yeah i think he would have looked at that and thought more i thought you were head over heels for me which john still is we can see it and get back (laughs) but yeah but it it would hurt to see that all the time and and to be clear like i don't think paul had any problem sharing john with cynthia so i don't think he needs to possess john 24 7 in all ways possible obviously because he didn't he never did right i think he's a fairly like out of sight out of mind thing but when he's with john he wants he wants john to be for sure his yeah yes and he's used to that relationship that they have as creators as co-creators and as partners is (laughs) sacrosanct from paul's Mm -hmm. point of view and now there's somebody in the middle and it's like bringing it's like bringing a third party into your marriage bed it's right and you can see paul how much paul hates it yeah is john bringing like is john trying to get a threesome going or does he just want yoko to watch in the studio i think what ends up happening is she just has to sit there and watch because john's not going to push it that far Mm-hmm. but i think what he would prefer is if she was involved and that's what Agreed. she would prefer too oh definitely so it's like it's kind of funny because it's like john's like well i don't respect you enough to not bring her in here but i do respect mm-hmm. you enough <laughs> which again is is weird and gives it's... all mixed signals so yeah i mean maybe john's just trying to make him happy or not happy but maybe john's just i don't know you know some horrible but possibly functional middle ground john doesn't want to push paul too far so he so he tries to keep yoko at a kind of a quiet you know background background noise yeah yeah but in the meantime like if it was up to paul he'd be like i'd really prefer if yoko stayed home Mm -hmm. but i but yeah i think john would have loved it i think he would have loved having paul and yoko in the same same like his husband and wife in the same band right yeah, yeah, or or even having a a side John Yoko Paul collaboration. Yes, yeah, away from the Beatles to do whatever weird, whatever weirdness those three weirdos would have come up with together, which might have been pretty epic. And that's that it would have actually. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of sad that we didn't get more mm-hmm. of that. Um, yeah, and I think it's too. like if if Yoko's down for it, then I think that's cool of her she has multiple reasons to be down with it yeah like well i'm just saying like if she's willing to share john that's cool ah of her Mm -hmm. but like if paul's not then well you can't force it you can't what are you gonna do well and how much resentment would that have created or at least hurt feelings in george and ringo so that's not doable either from a you know well i agree i don't think it would have worked for the whole no and of course, you know, let's <laughs> not the let's not ignore the elephant in the room. Can you imagine if John breaks up with Cynthia and then Paul starts dating Marianne Faithful and brings her into the studio all the time? Oh, please. Cuts a track with her. I mean, there's no, under no circumstances would that ever be okay. No. 
Paul's like, I'd like it if Marianne joined the band. What do you think? And they're doing fucking harmonies on all their songs now. Mm-hmm. He's like, sorry, oh, John. John would have blown every gasket yes. that he had. And he would have been right to do so. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So getting back to the evening standard. <laughs> <laughs> So Paul says, it's taken me a year to realize that John and Yoko were in love just like Linda and me. And then Connolly mentions that Paul and Linda sat on top of each other throughout the meeting. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> yeah. surprising no one who's ever met them. Nope. And that Linda often squeezed Paul's hand as he spoke. Cute. And she is more than likely squeezing his thigh under the table. Well, no doubt. So then Connolly adds, once Paul had gotten over telling me of his relationship with the Beatles, they relaxed a lot and he goes on to explain that paul and linda have been spending a lot of time in scotland and are no longer seen around london or at apple paul again i got tired of reading that i'm some kind of hermit or recluse having an awful time i'm having a great time i can see how it's all happened i was always the ambassador for the beatles but now all i want to do is be with my family it's understandable i have a better time with my family damn he said that twice yeah yeah you know what it sounds like it sounds like one of those extremely obvious things that someone else points out to you and it really clicks and you go yeah that's gonna be my mantra from now on like a therapist sat down and talked to him and he's like paul do you have fun with john and he's like Mm -hmm. what no i haven't for years do you have fun with your family? Yes, I love them. I always have a great time with them. Paul. Yeah. <laughs> yes. You have exciting. a better time with your family. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if it was Linda who was like, Paul, you're allowed to do what you enjoy more. That's good enough reason. Exactly. Exactly. And if you don't want to be in partnership with these people anymore, that's also a good, yes. a good enough reason. And you don't owe it to anybody. You don't owe it to the world. You don't owe it to them. Yeah. He needed to hear that, I'm sure. Yeah, responsibility and guilt are like his two big drivers. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. Paul talks more about his family. I've got a great wife who I love today more than I did on the day I married her. Two great kids and a nice house. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) these are precious moments for me which i can waste if i want to or Mm. which i can make the most of i could go to the office every day and just not watch the baby grow up she stood up today by the way if everybody had the opportunity to stay at home they would that's all i'm doing oh that's beautiful (laughs) she stood up today he's right though i mean he you know he's like it's true yes and he says uh he says earlier in the interview he's like look the only difference between me and everybody else who loves their family and you know loves their kids is that i have Mm -hmm. money yeah i think that's amazing what a great statement if everybody had the opportunity to stay at home they would ain't that the truth it's absolutely the truth that's one of the biggest parts of his biography Mm -hmm. is that he took his kids with him on tour and you know 
they yes. took him to Nigeria during a cholera outbreak. <laughs> yeah, you know, like you do. Shoved him in the jacket and rode him rode a horse with the horses. <laughs> yeah. But so we're yeah. not condoning all of his parenting choices. He's just prioritizing his presence in the kids' lives and their presence in his life. Yep. So John has proposed a way that the Beatles and Lennon and McCartney can be reborn together. But while he is formulating that and saying it, I think that Paul is undergoing a rebirth of his own. He's undergoing his own transformation. And living out his own dream. And discovering new dreams with Linda. Finding new things about himself he didn't know. Some surprises about himself. But that he takes on board for the rest of his life. So first, let's read a little quote from Paul about the early days of his and Linda's relationship. He says that when they were out driving, that Linda would say, turn off here, let's try to get lost. And at first he would fight against it, but then he came to realize that, quote, it was such a beautiful idea, this idea of wanting to get lost. I loved it. She changed my way of thinking forever on that. In the Beatles, we were always trying to find the gig. Getting lost was the last thing you wanted to do. But the freedom of actually not minding or even liking getting off the beaten track was a blessing in my life. So that's a pretty good encapsulation of this transformation that Paul is going through. It, it lines up perfectly with what he said that he was switched on for 10 years and never switched off. And now he's learning to enjoy switching off. Yep. He's learning to let go of the pressure of keeping up certain appearances, which is something that was trained into him as a child. And he's it's, becoming more himself. Yeah. Less cool, but more authentic and more relaxed and more comfortable with himself. And I'm not saying that his, his mid-60s persona or lifestyle was fake or right. an act. I'm just saying that he's grown past that into something different. Something that is more fulfilling to him at this point in his life. And that has to do with nature. It has hugely to do with being a dad. Mm -hmm. Fatherhood was transformative for Paul. And he, he really leans into his mother nature's son side. Really seems like he's having a where has this been all my life moment when he's talking about putting seeds in the ground and watching the vegetables grow up. Yeah, he's like rubbing his hands in the dirt like, oh my God, I never knew anything could feel like this. I think it was Linda's influence that made him do it in a like, get, get your hands dirty kind of way. Learn, learn to actually ride horses. Yeah. Which I think is undersold as something that's really important to him. Yeah. And that, that says something about a person. So Linda and getting away from the Beatles really opened up a new world for Paul. And I know it was a painful you know it was an excruciating yeah. transition and i'm sure there are parts of it that he regrets and yeah. mixed feelings things but he misses and, and of course yeah. of course obviously freedom he yeah. felt that with linda was freedom the beetle breakup was a sort of freedom not always a comfortable one yeah yeah but it's really interesting he uses that over and over again that word and he forever mm -hmm. associates that word freedom with linda which is so striking when mm -hmm. you consider 
that this is a person yes who has hundreds of groupies you know if he's going from so-called sexual freedom if he's going from multiple partners to one partner you'd expect him to choose a word like that like security versus yeah. freedom like yeah freedom is such a wild but sexy and exciting word to attach to yes. a person you know yeah well i don't think he felt like he had to perform for linda in any way and yes. i'm not saying that she i'm not saying that she worshipped him and didn't think yeah. he had any flaws because we know we know that's not true but i think she loved him like she yes. radically accepted yes him for him well and not to pit linda and john against each other or make everything about john but like maybe if paul's coming out of a relationship where he doesn't feel like he's loved him yep. unconditionally and yep. he moves into a relationship where he is loved unconditionally like that would be incredible like mm -hmm. of course he would feel freedom that he's because he has freedom to be himself now without yeah. feeling like he's gonna lose her love mm -hmm. i feel like there are different kinds of freedom and john might have represented like exhilarating freedom whereas yeah. linda is sort of like relaxing freedom like freedom to you know let it go yeah and she's a very chill lady she definitely has that quality of stillness when you watch her mm -hmm. and paul said that she was the one who could sit for a long time outside and let nature come to her and that he was never as good at that and we know why he yeah, yeah so surprising he, he no one. Sit still so freedom from his own you know the discomfort yes that those compulsions yeah bring mm -hmm. him yes. she was sort of a tonic to that there is freedom with that and paul does not by nature or by nurture feel comfortable if he's not doing everything he possibly can so if he's with a, if he has a partner now who is like a human chill pill mm -hmm. it makes sense that that would be extremely liberating and it would be a a, a weight off of him Okay, and then skipping ahead slightly, he says, that's the real life. I just have to get away from all this concrete. It's very rough up there, but it's the life I have always dreamed about. Okay, so one of the issues that we've flagged and we've talked about a bit in the series is living together. In episode three, we discussed a quote from John in late 1971 about how there was no point to the Lennon-McCartney songwriting team if they weren't living together. And in episode four, we discussed a quote from Paul from March 1971 about how the Beatles' continued closeness was unsustainable without living together, which they didn't do after 1968. Paul's quote, again is i think what john did was tremendous from the point of view of okay so we are actually going to go our own ways you just can't be as tied together as we were for so long a period unless you all live in the same house from then onward it was to be a question of living your own life which was the first real turn on for me in a long time and this coincided with my meeting linda 
so it's living his own life but it's not living alone he's saying he's living with linda as opposed to living with the other Beatles. sure this issue kind of keeps cropping up so over and over so i think we kind of need to get to the bottom of it as far as we can and let me just say up front a surface read of this is that well they're just talking about touring like this is just a convoluted quasi-romantic way of saying if we're not touring then there's then the band is going to disintegrate right Mm -hmm. which is also a point they make well obviously those two things are going to be related yes so it's it's fair to make that uh connection sure however you know as daphne and i have pointed out like the beatles lived together beyond touring So it wasn't well, the, and it wasn't the end of the Beatles in 1966, even though that was the end of touring. Mm-hmm. Although people people do make that argument, so and I'm not discounting it, but we're saying there seems to be more to it than just a, an issue of touring. Yes, I think it might be worth pointing out that living together has been a big part of their lives since the beginning they lived together in hamburg when they made it and moved to london brian got them a flat to share even i mean for since the beginning of their relationship i mean john and paul lived a mile away from each other Mm -hmm. sure had all manner of sleepovers like they could walk between their homes and did regularly Yeah, they went on vacation together, hitchhiking, and then later to Paris. And how many times does Paul talk about sleeping in the same bed with John? Physical proximity is important, is vital to their relationship. Vital. Absolutely vital. Yes. And when that's removed, I think, you know, not just a confluence of ideas goes missing, but I think also their trust and confidence in each other yeah is at risk as well Mm -hmm. you can see them play this out with their wives afterwards like yes you can same way with yoko and linda they are terrified of letting these women out of their sight not saying that that's necessarily healthy well for sure you know and but some it's a of, thing but it's a thing and it might have been because of the trauma that, that john and paul went through like they lost their own relationship over mm. this you know again maybe not the healthiest situation but it makes it understandable why it would be a touchy thing for them moving forward with their with their new families yeah okay so we're always wondering what was the deal with india <laughs> what happened to them there what happened to John and Paul there? What changed their relationship forever? Why is John hurt? Why is he acting the way that he is? Why does he seem angry at Paul all of a sudden? And how is it also that Paul kind of knows, but doesn't really know what's going on in John's mind? So I started thinking, maybe there wasn't a confrontation about romance or anything like that. I mean, like an offhand remark about the hamster houses. Mm -hmm. but the thing is that cynthia was down to live in a hamster house like she was okay with it and paul was the one who balked at the hamster houses i don't know if paul would have gone along with it if jane was down for it Mm -hmm. like i don't know but there's no way jane was gonna do that absolutely not (laughs) like jane could barely tolerate going on 
vacation with these people right mm-hmm. <laughs> so and i don't think paul wants it either um well he, he doesn't want to live on a remote island he doesn't want to live on a remote island so it's a non-starter for paul yeah maybe we should explain what the hamster house is what, right. what i mean by that uh if you're not so deep in the beatles bullshit that you know exactly what we mean when we say hamster houses we're talking about john's greek island idea yes so let's read a quote from a direct quote from neil aspinall which will explain all so neil says there was talk of getting an island i don't know what it was all about it was a bit silly really the idea was that you'd have four houses with tunnels connecting them to a central dome john lennon was very excited about the idea at the time and here's what john said contemporaneously to hunter davies we're all going to live there perhaps forever just coming home for visits or it might just be six months a year it'll be fantastic all on our own on this island there's some little huts which will do up and knock together and live communally which will do up that's so cute he's so adorable i know i mean it's a very 60s idea but it's got the john lennon touch to it and i would i would give anything to see his drawings of it (gasps) but if john was like okay so you guys are engaged or whatever so does this mean no hamster houses Mm. and if paul looked at him was like john come on that was never gonna happen that was never gonna happen yes not even you could have been serious about that and john's like so what's mm-hmm. gonna happen to us and paul's like i don't know well, what do you what do you mean us you know like what are you what are you even talking about right and john's like well so we're not gonna live together and paul's like john come on when were we gonna live together mm-hmm. i because, could see it because it seems to be a point of contention yeah no, running up against a hard line of incompatibility in a close relationship can be shocking and can damage the relationship. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, maybe the undercurrent of it is, you know... Homoerotic? Yes, but maybe not explicitly. Yeah, so that's that's interesting that Paul puts it in those terms. Because it... <sighs> The best way I can make it make sense is that he's saying there was no way for us to continue being as close as we were unless we had found a way to have more contact with each other, aka live live together. Or when he says and get back, when you're, when you're that close, yes. something grows. And when you're, when you're not, not, something goes. And he said living together too, and let it yeah. be. yeah. So the fact that Paul brings it up in those terms and let it be means, I think means that it's something they've identified as yes as the issue. And they're both on the mm-hmm. same page about it because they mention it. They both mention it moving forward. Yes. And they use the words living together, not touring together or working together closely. Well, if you mean well, touring, why don't you just say touring? Well, exactly. That's, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Well, and then the other thing after india john and yoko move in with paul and that that is some choice for john and yoko to do that when they have limitless options of where they can go yes it's a very odd choice 
if John and Paul have a rift about living together in the future, then it's definitely strange for John to then move into <laughs> Paul's house with his new girlfriend, unless they're trying to prove something. Unless John is trying to prove that he's over it and Paul's trying to prove that he's over it. And they're both pretending like it's no big deal. Yeah, but there still must be some desire to be close there's always a desire there's always a desire to be close you can pretend that everything's fine and that you're over it by just never talking about each other (laughs) yeah right right just being apart from each other and not talking about it it's like no we really have to show that we're definitely really over whatever hang-ups we had about living together or not living together yeah, that's some wild overcompensation yeah it's totally in character for them it <laughs> right is. or they think this is how they can get away with living together or john could be like here's a little revenge here's some taste of your own medicine paul yeah does this bother you does this bother you it was so cute when you and jane would walk around the ashram holding hands and is this revenge is it a weird game of like i'm cool with it no i'm cool with it. i'm oh, super I'm... cool john i'm so cool with it i I'm... you can live with me you can <laughs> you guys can stay here as long as you want mikasa sukasa seriously it's all not good. bothered i'm not all bothered good. even a little bit so john and paul lived together during sergeant pepper during mm-hmm. however long that lasted yeah when they live on on location in, during magical mystery tour then they go to India and live in an ashram together. And then they come back and John moves into Paul's house with Yoko this time, but still. Maybe the India confrontation is like, well, Paul, what's going to happen when we're not living together anymore? Yeah, I thought you wanted to live with me. And if Paul like nervously laughs that off or just whatever, mishandles it <laughs> in whatever way, mm-hmm. then of course John is going to be you know way more embarrassed than he needs to be about it sure yeah because he's shown his tender little underbelly he's paranoid about being laughed at so yeah and he's gonna immediately become preoccupied with proving to paul that he he didn't really care that much well i feel like that would become his new mission Mm. Mm -hmm. his (laughs) i I feel like if that happened then yeah i feel like his his mission at that point especially when he's fucking sitting in rishikesh with no other distractions trying to figure out his life his Mm. main mission for his life at that point is going to be like okay i have really got to get my shit together then so like priority one is getting over paul and priority number two is finding something to replace paul and yes priority number three is proving to paul that it doesn't mean that much to me yeah Although I don't know that immediately entering an extremely codependent, high-profile relationship is going to convince Paul that you didn't actually want that with him. You know, maybe that's why he says it took me a year to realize they were in love. Exactly. Yeah, that's where I was kind of going, too. Maybe he's like, I thought this was some kind of... Fuck you to me! Performance, yeah. Yeah. So, and again, the fact that they're using these phrases as early as 1969 i think means that there's a good chance that it's a conversation that they had 
and maybe living together is a loaded concept that has a lot of other undercurrents to it that maybe they're not talking about mm -hmm. and maybe that scenario is more likely than an explicit romantic proposal yeah some sort of verbalized romantic proposition of some kind back to the evening standard the life i've always dreamed about that's pretty intense i mean i don't know what it would be like for john to read that i mean i would assume he'd just push it out of his head i i agree all i'll say is that if you break up with somebody after 10 years mm -hmm. and then six months or a year later or whatever you hear them saying like well what i've always wanted was something completely different completely than what you different. thought yeah well and what if what if on top of that that life is something that you have also dreamed about your dream of a cottage in the country oh if that's the case i'd be terribly bitter that's awful that's like the classic you know the woman who wants kids and breaks up with the guy yes. and then mm -hmm. he has a kid immediately with his next girlfriend right it's exactly yeah or vice versa obviously you know the point doesn't have to be the woman it's just whatever one partner wants babies <laughs> and the other doesn't until the right. next relationship and all of a sudden baby yeah or gets married whether john thinks of it that way or not i i don't know but it wouldn't be unreasonable for him to see it that way yeah or unusual like you say yeah that has the potential to be very hurtful yes yeah a big resentment that lasts yeah i mean he do john does comment on it a little bit in 1971 in the saint regis interview and here's the quote and with linda not only did he have a ready-made family but she knows what he wants obviously and has given it to him the complete family life He's in Scotland. He told me he doesn't like English cities anymore. So that's how it is. At the, at the very least, I feel like John would have understood the appeal of, you know, living in the country. You'd think. You'd think. Yeah. Given that how much he wants that himself. Yes. And does for the rest of his life. I mean, Paul is literally living in Scotland where john said he always felt free and that he was searching so maybe he part of him doesn't understand it but another part of him does and is envious i hate to keep bringing it back around to that but paul is living in john's dreamland and so to hark back to episode one and john's own dream of living that kind of life john was interviewed three days after the divorce meeting and he describes a film about a man living in the country. And then he goes on at length about how it reminded him of his own dream, his deep desire to live in the country like that. So I'll read a bit of that just as a refresher. <laughs> John says, it was dreamlike. He didn't have any problems. It was just nature and him training the falcon. And it was just so beautiful. And I thought, God almighty, it's all I want, really. But it can't be, or I'd get it. Well, I can get it. I can live in a cottage and live there if I wanted to. I always have this dream of being an artist in a little cottage. 
and I didn't do any of these gigs or publicity. I just wrote poetry and a few oils, and that's the dream. It just seemed like such a dream, living in the cottage and wandering in the trees. So this is not a passing fancy of John's, as we tried to emphasize in episode one. I have heard that John was planning to go there in 1981. Uh, he says it on the tape. And Yoko's on record saying John was planning a trip to the UK in 1981. John wanted to show Scotland to his son. So that, that right there tells you how much it means to him. Well, of course, the bagpipes got me right back to Edinburgh, which is one of my favorite dreams. And, uh, Edinburgh Festival and the tattoo in the castle when all the bands of the world's armies would come and march and play. And the favorites used, I think they were usually the Americans because they swung like shit, apart from actually the Scots, who were really the favorites. And I always remember feeling very emotional about it, especially when they did the bit at the end where they put all the lights out and there's just one guy playing the bagpipes lit by a lone spotlight. Okay. Well, in 1981, I'll take Sean there. Because that's a good year to go. I always felt free in Scotland. So with that in mind, why doesn't he get a place in Scotland in 1980 or 1979 even? That's always what I wonder when I hear that tape. Well, and he's saying the same thing in 1969. It can't be what I really want or I'd get it. Well, I could get it. Right. Well, then, like, well, why don't you go get it? I know it's sad. And in the case of the 70s, we know he had green card issues for many years. Mm -hmm. But not, not in 1980. Well, and not in 1969 either. True. I don't yeah. know. I don't understand because John is like a wealthy, successful rock star. Right. In 1979. He certainly has enough money to buy a piece of property in Scotland. Is it Yoko? Does she not like Scotland? Well, that could be. Not everyone likes rainy rough <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know cold <clears throat> yet beautiful she's like i went there once and we got in a horrible car crash that's true maybe it has bad juju for her maybe she's just not a country girl at well, all she's, she's definitely not a country girl in one of the 1980 interviews he says i need to get out of the city from time to time like i need breaks right and yeah. he's like, Yoko does not. She's cool with being in Manhattan 24-7, 365. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She did consent to a place in Long Island. So maybe that was a compromise. I don't know. That just seems like something John should be able to have if he wants if it. If he wants it. Yeah. And I'm not saying that she doesn't get a say because I, I do think that your spouse should have a say in where you buy property. That's reasonable. I but just... when you have limitless funds... It seems a little unfair. The heart wants what it wants. The heart wants what it wants. And and I think everyone, even John Lennon, 
starts to learn as they get older, you know what, I really need to get out of my own way whenever I can <laughs> yeah. and not stop cutting off my nose despite my face. True. Yeah. Okay. So John didn't get his rebirth with the Beatles, but he is reborn after the breakup. In God, he sings, I was the walrus and the dreamweaver, but now I'm reborn. I believe in Yoko and me. So not getting Scotland was maybe a bit of a trade-off in their relationship, but surely Yoko offered other things. If Linda represents freedom to Paul, what does Yoko represent to John? Certainly the conventional wisdom is that Yoko represented artistic freedom to John. Mm -hmm. As if the Beatles and specifically Paul were restrictive, like creatively oppressive. This is a running theme through most Beatles books. Right? Yeah, well, Peter Peter Jackson said something similar. That is the trope, right? Because Paul was so just traditional and unimaginative, you know, his simpleton cooties infected John. And I don't agree with that, um, no. obviously. Mm. We've Me said neither. That. We've, we've said it numerous times on, on this show. It's incredibly insulting to Paul. And I think it really misunderstands what the Beatles are about. Mm -hmm. However, having said all that, I do think she offered something different. She was in a completely different field of art and she had different influences. Totally. And she brought new ideas to John. I, I do think that Yoko is an influence the way Eastern music is on George mm -hmm. or avant-garde or music concrete is on Paul. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she brings performance art. That's the yeah. biggest thing that she brings into John's life. For good and or for ill. John does become a performance artist for quite a while after that. And you can see, absolutely see how that was well suited to his personality and, and abilities. And his talents. Yeah, yes, absolutely. Totally. Absolutely. But I also wonder if one of the things Yoko offered John is exactly what John said Last Agono Band was, which yep. is an escape valve. Absolutely. Because there is a lot of pressure at being at the top. So. Yep. I do think it was liberating for John to have side projects that were just for fun, mm -hmm. just for the sake of art. Something he knew was not going to be commercially successful or even necessarily taken seriously. Mm -hmm. Like he needs a daily howl. I, I definitely think John was committed to the stuff that he did with Yoko. But part of the appeal, I think... Part of the appeal is that people don't like it, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Part of the appeal is that it's going to shock people. Mm -hmm. And one major difference between Paul and Yoko is that with Paul, John makes the greatest pop music of the century. You know, he's in like the world's most successful band and everybody is counting on them to keep producing. And so mm -hmm. there's a very high standard to what they do and the stakes are extremely high yeah and between um that's a lot of pressure and i'm not suggesting in 1968 paul was only in the beatles for money you know that he was flogging john lennon to keep the gravy train running and that's why john had to escape <laughs> <laughs> 
but you can't avoid the fact that by virtue of being john's business partner paul has a vested interest in john lennon not fucking up their success yep that is just a byproduct of being somebody's business partner yeah and they have a lot to lose they have everything to lose Mm -hmm. but yoko on the other hand is desperate for fame and has nothing to lose really yeah right she has everything to gain yes exactly and she just so happens to trade in sensationalism and boundary pushing art which is what attracted john to her in the first place along with her complete and utter attention and devotion to an alarming degree but (laughs) also the fact that she was really out there so she is the perfect outlet for john to rebel against his success and i think part of that rebellion is like authentic artistic expression yes and the sincere belief that art sometimes needs to disturb and challenge people and that is valid and important and an essential part of art so Mm -hmm. no fucking argument there you know i think that part of him really is sincerely committed to that from an artistic standpoint but i also think that part of it is self-sabotage and and very importantly an excuse to not have to compete with paul at such a demanding level it's definitely seems to be becoming more and more popular to read that (laughs) john was sabotaging himself and the band but i don't (laughs) think it's simply one or the other i think there are elements of both a bit of just biting the hand because that's who john is and a bit of bucking the system like rebel with a cause and rebel without a cause (laughs) (laughs) yes at a certain point the beatles became something that john wanted to rebel against which which is kind of inevitable because they had had so much success when it was a challenge to be successful you know you feel like you're going to show everybody and you're going to prove yourself but like once you've proved yourself and you're at a point where you're just like on top of the mountain after a while it's going to get weird up there she offers a cause uh she gives him a structure for his celebrity yeah a prescribed this is how to be famous yeah down to the details which is i think that's a relief for john he so wants structure for someone who is a rebel and someone who likes to spend all day in bed he he does have a good impulse that he he knows that structure is good for him oh for sure for sure yeah but he needs somebody else to design and implement it to create it absolutely yes well and she's totally willing to indulge john's codependence yeah so that is a perfect storm in a lot of ways and but what i meant earlier was that she offered a cause is that i think she knew how to lend moral authority to art and that appealed to john Alrighty, back to the evening standard with Ray Connolly, who writes, Despite all his years as a Beatle, Paul is still remarkably sensitive to criticism. An unfavorable review of his new album in a pop newspaper annoyed him. And when John made a funny, fairly innocuous little comment in another pop in another pop newspaper about one of Paul's records being like an Engelbert Humberding song, he was cut to the quick although he knew John had been joking. 
William Mann's highly flattering review in the Times last Friday, however, made up for everything. They refuse to get involved in whatever John or any of the other Beatles do. Paul says, I think John's great, but what he does is none of my business. I also think my brother's great, but I'd never dream of interfering with my brother's life. Damn. Yeah, that's not, that's not, um, that's, a, that's a change. Yeah. What he does is none of my business. <laughs> I mean, that's one of those things that's like, that's like, it's nothing personal. <laughs> a yeah. little bit. John's the I don't know that's none of my business I don't give a shit I couldn't I couldn't care less what's that got to do with me mm-hmm. <laughs> what is up with Connolly being like all John did was make a snide fucking joke about Paul sounding like the worst singer of all time <laughs> and <laughs> Paul fucking took offense to that Jesus what's up with that he sure is sensitive to criticism it's like what okay but like McCartney is like notoriously underproduced. How yeah, is it how exactly. is it Chelsea? How is it I even close to being like Engelbert Humperdinck? Well, it's not. John's just being a dick. Yeah. Right. And right. he's and he's like hitting Paul in the area where he's sensitive. Yeah. Like, yep. oh, you're you're being a soft, soppy bitch. Mm-hmm. Not like me. I'm very tough. <laughs> I never write love songs. Jesus. Or granny music. My music's not for tarts and fags. Exactly. It's for, for workers. Workers. <laughs> Every time I go down to the coal mines, they're blasting plastic on a pan. <laughs> so this kicks off the era of John's public bullying of Paul. I know that some fans get upset when we talk about this, but it obviously happened. How Do You Sleep is on every John Lennon compilation. John's nasty comments and Melody Maker letter are reprinted all the time over and over again. They're permanent. And what's more, John knew they would be permanent because he was well acquainted with the power of his own celebrity at the time when he was saying all this stuff. It wasn't that he didn't know his own strength or anything like that. He knew exactly what his own strength was and he used it strategically against Paul. Yeah. Uh, so there's there's no point in pretending it didn't happen. It's just an unfortunate reality. Anyways, um, I think that their main method of persuasion here in these final months of Nasty Beatles is bullying. John's a bully and Alan Klein is a bully. You know, he's got George on his side and he's got Ringo sort of walking the fence and not really doing anything to stop sure. him and, you know. So just bully Paul until he comes over to the side. And if that doesn't work, bully him publicly, which they do. Yeah. Socially ostracizing Paul is where his weak spot is. Yeah. And so that's where John hits him. Yeah. And how's Paul going to fight back? Nobody wants to come to your aid and be on your team because you've been socially ostracized people just pile on and on and on when that happens that's what happens Mm -hmm. in the 70s right so Mm -hmm. it leaves paul with almost no options either he cries mercy and he says okay i give up uncle i'll do Mm -hmm. whatever you guys want just please don't you know turn the hoses on me in public right 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 yeah 
or he goes to the teacher basically yeah which is what he does he goes to the court eventually because they're the only people who are going to be on his side at this point well they're they're the only ones who can who have the power to do anything. do anything yeah yeah and i can already hear the pushback wasn't paul the most popular beetle and he had the most successful solo career of the 70s he sold out arenas why are we supposed to feel sorry for him and yeah he was and he did <laughs> but he was still shunned by his closest friends and subsequently ostracized by the you know so-called cool kids of the rock press and yeah, he survived due to his own talent and tenacity, but that doesn't mean they didn't act the way that they did. Being beautiful and popular or even wealthy doesn't shield you from being hurt by your friends. Well, and it more to the point in my mind, it doesn't make it okay for your friends to act that way, regardless of whether they actually succeed in ruining that person's life or not it sucks of them to do that and if you don't personally feel sorry for ball i don't care you don't have to (laughs) you probably shouldn't write a book arguing well bullying is fine if the person is annoying we have a candid heartfelt take from 80 year old paul and it's on this subject so i feel like it's really important that we share it it takes him several attempts to to yep. break out of the second person too there was I like know. moments where you you would you would oh, you would i'm sure yeah. i you know yeah he's got to work up to it so it's he's got to work up to it. you know we know that it's hard for him to open up but i feel like mm. you know we should reward him when he does mm. yeah good job paul we love you yes and i've said it before and i'm happy to reiterate it here I'm just really grateful to Howard Stern for being willing to go off script and push Paul and empathize with him and tell him things that he should hear while there's still time. You know, I've said this to you before, and I don't know what you think, but, and I almost hesitate to say it. I don't want to be taken the wrong way, but I think if John was around, he also bullied you in a sense. You put out an album, he had a way in on it. You know, the Beatles were no longer together. He had to be, he had to give you a dig. It's like you don't have that constant worry in your life anymore that you're going to be crucified for just mm. giving your experience and your point of view about the Beatles or, or in music. You know? Yeah, well, you, yeah, that, that's true, but, you know, I'd swap it all out for him to be alive. I know. I understand yeah. that. I, you know, and I understand that. Now, the thing is, Howard, you know, it's John. You know, if it, when I first met him, that's John. He's just like that. And, you know, when you've had as long a relationship with him as I had, you get to take these things with a, a pinch of salt. It can Good be, for you. you know, it can be as mean as anything, but you just know the next minute he'll, he won't think like that. You know, he's just getting something out. And you, you got used to it, you know. And you, sometimes you'd get annoyed back. But um, not often, because you just want, oh, that's John, isn't he? What a dick. You know, <laughs> that, would, that would be it. Paul, that might be the thing that I love about you most. There's sometimes I see people who attack me who I know I've been good to. And that's how I feel about you and John. 
And, and you'd say to yourself, my God, I, all I did was collaborate with this man. All I did mm. was we, we made beautiful music together. What's the fucking problem? You know, and that's what that song, mm. Dear Friend, is. I don't know what to yeah. do about well, it. Well, you, you know, you're right. I mean, obviously, when those things happen, particularly like when you put out an album, and then you, let's say you hear John sort of slagging it off. Um, yeah, you know, in the uh, aftermath, after the break, breakup of the Beatles, there were some very sad moments for me in there, mm. you know. Well, sure. you know, you you would get really down, and, and you, you know, I'm sure I probably cried a few times, going, "Oh, what the fuck?" As you say, you know, what? <laughs> why do we? Why did we have to get like this? You know, um, I think then you'd kind of just you'd you'd roll through it, you know, you'd steamroll your way through it, and you get to the other side, and you go, "Oh, it's John again, of course." Yeah, you that's know, uh, that's very understanding have, of he's, you. He's, hmm. It's understanding of you, and it's also like, you know, but you can only take so many shots. You know, you also have to protect yourself emotionally. Mm -hmm. You know, you do. It, mm -hmm. it, it, you, can, you can only put up with it for so long. Well, thank God there are people like Howard Stern. I'm... How sad is that, that we have to rely on Howard Stern? <laughs> I know, right? To, like, to, to validate Paul and let him know that, like, it's not yeah. okay. Yeah. Even beyond the, like... Your friend was mean to you. Like, it's just so wildly beyond that. It's like, your friend was crazy. Exactly. Exactly. People's mental illness is not your fault. Yeah. And any, and any therapist would tell him the same thing. So I'm sure he's heard it before. It's just pitiful that Beatles biographers don't adopt a similar attitude. But as long as there is a shameful code of silence about John's mental health, which there definitely still is, this is never going to change. Could you imagine how much would change if we could just simply acknowledge that John Lennon was a brilliant visionary artist who suffered from untreated mental illness on and off through his entire life? And that this contributed to how he treated the people closest to him paul mccartney you know especially for our purposes but also julian cynthia may pang and yoko how much simpler would that be and how much would it put the breakup of the beatles and the breakup of lennon mccartney in perspective how much better and deeper would our understanding of the Beatles be if we could just talk about that openly? Like if you read that Melody Maker letter without mm. any context, you're just like, God, Lennon was a fucking asshole, right? Mm -hmm. But if you're, if you know, like, well, he's a little unstable and have, you know, had some mental problems and was trying to treat them, but didn't really have any good doctors and wasn't medicated right. and, you could read it, you go, oh, okay, well, that makes sense. Poor Paul McCartney, right? Right, yeah, you can put it in perspective. But if you don't put it in perspective, then you're put in the position of you either have to just write John off as a monster, or you have to somehow justify his behavior. His victims deserve it somehow. Yeah, well, we're told so, we're told so often that he was a 
great man and a peace man right. and all this sort of stuff. So, you know, if he's like this hero who has statues built to him and stuff. Exactly. You know, I'm happy to say that like 2022 is a different era. We have to change. Like we can't keep saying the same things. Mm -hmm. We have to yeah. adjust. We can't keep like normalizing John's behavior and rationalizing right. it and making it seem like it's okay and blaming the people close to him who got hurt mm -hmm. yeah hey daphne let's go back to the <laughs> evening standards okay <laughs> the final thing is he brings up the long and winding road for the record in the evening standard putting it out there mm -hmm. all it says then a few weeks ago I was sent a remixed version of The Long and Winding Road, with harps, horns, an orchestra, and a woman's choir added. No one had asked me what I thought. I couldn't believe it. I would never have female voices on a Beatles record. The record came with a note from Alan Klein saying he thought the changes were necessary. I don't blame Phil Spector for doing it, but it just goes to show that it's no good me sitting here and thinking I'm in control, because obviously I'm not. Anyway, I've sent Klein a letter asking for some of the things to be altered, but I haven't received an answer yet. <laughs> Singing ladies. I would never put women on a Beatles album. Oh, I know. I think I know, like, I think I know what he meant. He meant, like, a choir, like, a women's choir. Uh, let's give him the benefit of the doubt and see, and, like, it wasn't supposed to be weird, but it was. <laughs> <laughs> Is anything he ever says supposed to be weird? <laughs> I think, I don't think he needs to try. <laughs> oh my god. He's trying, he's just, he wants to be normal so badly. <laughs> Again, totally confused as to why Klein did not comply after this is in the paper. Well, now it's almost like he, he has even less motivation to comply. Because now Paul's put it on the record. So now if he does, it's like he's, he's giving in. Oh so my his god. E so his, maybe his ego. Yeah, but that seems extremely risky and weird. But whatever. Oh, okay. Of course, they they don't think Paul is going to take action. They just must just not even countenancing that as a possibility. That's all I can think of. They just think he's got a, they've got him over a barrel and there's nothing he can do about it. If John had been able to bite the bullet, go to Paul personally and ask Paul to come back or, you know, or at least say, so, hey, we're, we're not breaking up, right? What, what should we do next, Paul? How about this rebirth thing? I have an idea. You know, he, wouldn't, he wouldn't have had to go and like grovel on the floor, but he would have had to seek Paul out himself and made some sort of gesture overture or something in person to paul's face but but paul is not moving he's not budging on klein he is no he will never budge on klein i mean maybe that that could repair their personal relationship but mm -hmm. i think it's well it's maybe maybe and that's a maybe but i don't yeah. think it could i don't think their beetle relationship will yeah be mended as long as klein is a wedge 
because Paul is stubborn and he's, you know, I mean, you know, I'm not saying he shouldn't be. I'm just saying right. he's also right, but he's also stubborn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but he, yeah. It, you know, he's not moving. So no, I don't see any way around that. I don't either. Until 1973, when Klein tries to screw him. Mm hmm. He's in deep all the way, right up until that point. So unless Klein had shown his true colors mm. earlier, I guess. That's possible. If John had gone and said, you know what? Hey, hey, Alan, we need to make some concessions to Paul, yada, right, yada. Right, right, Klein right. was like, never! I'm going to sue you too, Lennon. You're now my enemy Sure, well. sure, yeah. Which is absolutely within the realm of possibility. Yeah. There's another way to look at it, which isn't my perspective, but it you know could be another perspective which is like bro code first yes like yeah. was it was it worth it couldn't you just have risked your empire to make john happy yeah there that that is a good question and maybe if he had grudgingly gone along and then they had all gotten screwed by klein right equally, that would have kept them together at least yeah then that would have been th them all four of them against klein and maybe I mean, maybe that would have been better. Maybe not. Maybe that would have made Paul really resentful. Of course it would. Well, number one, in that scenario, not only is he willing to not do the obvious thing that he knows is the correct thing that would solve everything, you're, mm -hmm. which you're asking him to just not do it and let it happen. And you're also asking him to sacrifice everything he's worked for his whole life, which is kind yeah. of a big ask. It's an enormous an unfair and unjustifiable ask yes yeah just so his friends won't be pissed off at him and then the third thing is like what is he gonna even get out of that if if he goes along with it and all that happens he might get end up getting blamed anyway well that's the thing it's like well you're the one who knew and you exactly. you let us do this yeah yeah there's that potential and then there's also the potential that John and George have been telling him all of the ways that they don't enjoy working with him anymore. I'm not saying that means they don't want to work with him anymore, but from Paul's perspective. Yes, if, you know. your, if your future as collaborators is uncertain, uncertain already. Yes. <laughs> yes, very uncertain, I would say. And your friendships are splintering. I mean, yeah. To me, there's he really had no other choice. And also, at some point, you just have to do what you know is the right thing to do and take the consequences. Yep. So the Klein issue is one thing. And I do agree that it's sort of like the, the biggest roadblock. There's not really a way for them to overcome their business relationship or their professional relationship with Klein in the way... But then there's an undercurrent of personal to that. Definitely. As well. So I think we should consider like if they had mended their personal relationship, could they have overcome the business part, the client issue? Why couldn't they have worked out something where Eastman represents Paul, Klein represents John, Plus or minus George and Ringo, right? Mm -hmm. And Klein and Eastman are required to work together to hammer out deals for the Beatles. 
Like, isn't that what Paul's advocating for? Yeah. It, it just seems, seems like, like such a parallel universe. It, it just that just seems like the easiest solution. I, I have a really hard time understanding why John Lennon at all didn't agree to that. And that's what Paul suggests in Evening Standard. He's like, I don't care if they have if Klein represents them, but he doesn't represent me. So rather than let Klein be the manager and be in control of everything Beatles, which I object to, why don't we just have an independent panel, everything dispersed in a um equitable way and move forward well then we're back to in order for that to work klein has to stop feeding john george and ringo the idea that that is impossible so klein has to willingly give up some of his influence which i don't think he would have done mm. they seem from their public statements they do seem genuinely to want the beatles to get back together as an entity well and that's what we've been arguing this whole time the plan right. was never for the beatles to break up forever and again if if john is expecting the reaction that george and ringo got then he's the one who screwed he got shortchanged right from yeah. his perspective he's like what the fuck then the other three guys have been saying for months like yeah the beatles uh, hopefully will continue we're taking a break right now and i think that's totally sincere and and george reiterates it after the the mccartney announcement yeah he's still like i'm still down for beatles i'm fine with i would like the beatles to continue despite his musical beef with paul mm -hmm. that aside i think george is like wait 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 we were just getting to the point where I was going to get more space on a Beatles record. Like, I, I want the Beatles to continue. I'm willing to put yeah. up with Paul. Right. And so if I'm willing to put up with Paul, then Paul should be able to put up with Klein and put up with John saying, I want a divorce. Like, Paul, why are you even taking that seriously? Yeah. Stop being true. a baby and just come back to the band. So that's George's point of view. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I do think Klein is is the roadblock, but I also think that the real problem is between John and Paul. Because if John and Paul are getting together and they are on the same page, there is not anything that could tear the Beatles apart. Yeah. So how at this point would they have gotten themselves on the same page again? Okay, so what about this scenario? So you said like, if John approached Paul and was like, hey, uh, do you want to do Beatles maybe? And and Paul was like, well, John, um, no, because of Alan Klein. You know, if you get rid of Klein, we can talk about that. But if you, if it's going to be Klein, then I think Paul's made his decision, right? Yes, he has. Yeah. Yeah. So, but let's take it a step further, okay? Okay. What if John somehow got in the door with Paul, however, and they both stayed calm and centered long enough for john to articulate to paul i'm sorry i love you i didn't mean to hurt you i was going through a lot and it just came out in a really hurtful way and i apologize but i would like to find a way to move forward together and i 
I know it can't be like it was, but I would like to have you in my life and I'd like to continue the Beatles in some way. Mm -hmm. Assuming that they're able to have a conversation where they lay all their cards on the table. Mm -hmm. At that point, would Paul have been able to say, okay, same, but listen, John, I'm, I'm really sorry, but I just, I don't think you understand what it was like for me when brian came in and i was worried that i was going to get sidelined you know and uh-huh. certain decisions were made that seemed to elbow me out of the way and so john i don't want another manager who's who's going to be advocating for you and not me and whether you realize it or not Clyde has been an absolute nightmare towards me mm-hmm. and if you don't like the eastmans because they're linda's family and that feels unfair to you that's fine i'll let them manage me personally but if you want they don't have to have anything to do with the beatles if they were in a place where they trusted each other where there weren't all these emotional issues where they you know could communicate directly to each other uh-huh like just an ideal scenario where they're both just like super mature and centered right well Okay, so I think for John to have any chance of backing down on Klein, they would have had to do all of that, A, and B, Paul would have had to have found a way to convince John that he really would leave if John did not concede on Klein. Mm. Does that make sense? Because I think John's still operating under the assumption that like, well, there's only so much Paul can do about it. In reality, in the real timeline. (laughs) exactly i agree with that for sure which is part of why i think john's like what the fuck when paul's like i thought it was pretty obvious that i was gonna leave mm-hmm. <laughs> what did you think i was doing when i didn't talk to you for six months like i, I was putting your clothes and your and your books in the box yeah and sending it to goodwill john yeah john would have to let go of klein and i think he would only have done that maybe if he knew that if he knew that it really was Klein or Paul although maybe not because Yoko is super into Klein Klein can still manage John and Yoko there's no reason why he can't if I'm saying if Paul was like listen John you you can keep Klein can be your uh, your manager that's fine yes but but that's the other thing I don't think Klein would have been satisfied to just be John and Yoko's manager well that's a great that's that is a great point and a great question probably and john probably knows that it's like no klein's in it for the beatles if he doesn't get what he wants he's not going to give me what i want yeah if john goes to klein and he's like well no okay alan you can't have the beatles anymore but you can still manage me and yoko (laughs) klein might be like fuck you lennon yes i think he would so to my mind klein just managing john george and ringo is not a possibility it's not really on the table and paul staying under klein's management is also not an option so if john was aware of that and if he was that's what i'm coming down to if he was aware that it really was a choice it was paul or alan klein i'm still not sure what he would do yeah well you would assume that john would take paul and by extension the beatles over alan klein well, you'd think 
why would you choose Alan Klein managing the Beatles over the Beatles themselves? Like that's that makes no sense. Like if John's the John's like, okay, I, I I'll just issue an ultimatum to Paul. This is the only way he's gonna uh-huh. he's gonna take me seriously. I'm out, yeah. you know. Now, Paul, you're in the position of you have to throw the Beatles under the bus for the sake of Klein. You know what I mean? Like, if you don't want Alan Klein, now you're the one who has to take responsibility for destroying the band. That's going to be on you now, which is clever, right? Yeah, Um, totally. I mean, I guess you could you could argue that he he knew that what Paul was going to do and he was willing to sacrifice the Beatles. But I I think john thought for sure paul was going to cave and that's why yeah. he did it that's why he issued the ultimatum but it backfired on him yeah well and then we can't we can't forget that paul also on the other side has the eastmans and linda telling him like this situation is not great for you you probably would be better off to separate from the Beatles, mostly because of Klein, but also like you're you're not gonna shrivel and die. Like you'll be able to have a solo career. If Linda's kind of like, also I I don't know that I really like those people. <laughs> right. <laughs> they don't they don't always treat you well, Paul. I don't know that this is a healthy partnership at this point. Meanwhile, Lee Eastman is like, I hate that Lennon. <laughs> what what do you even see in him, Paul? Yeah. You know, and that's that's not nothing. I don't think Paul is as easily swayed by outside input as John is, but it's, it's not nothing. Yeah. Yeah. And if, and if Eastman's also like Lennon, he's a ticking time bomb. He's gonna, you know, mess up your career. He's going to keep sabotaging the band, you know, whether that's true or not. Well, I get, you know, I guess this comes down to like how much has Klein filled John's head with, lies bullshit exactly. yeah yeah exactly john is gullible yeah and Cl- and klein is self-interested and very good con man because he fooled george and ringo and many other people until he inevitably showed his true colors and came to be at odds with everyone he professed to love and work for if somebody's putting stacks of money in front of you well it, certainly it, you know it's reasonable to think oh this guy delivers he said he was well, going to do this and he did and he did that means he'll definitely keep any other promises he makes great money keep it coming you know to be to be to be seduced yeah it, it does really make me wonder how much they knew about klein uh being an asshole to paul just personally yeah making up rapey nicknames for him and yeah, and <laughs> yeah screaming at him well and also lying to him i mean that's the main <laughs> main well, main gripe there that's true john definitely knows about that <sighs> advising his clients to commit fraud yeah like there's that <laughs> yeah which john i mean john says it says that that is what they did but he doesn't really show any recognition well, because, of how much that would have freaked Paul out. Well, I don't think anybody has sat him down and and explained it. I think if there was anybody who wasn't up Klein's ass and getting something from this situation, who could have gotten John's ear, 
and been mm-hmm. like john you know look at it this way yeah i think it's a very possible that john could have gone oh shit i didn't think of it that way okay well yeah. that's fucked up yeah i see i see the, i see your point there yeah well exactly your if your whole argument is well yeah he's a scumbag but he's our scumbag then paul that- can't say that because he's proven not to be paul's scumbag but if you look at Klein as a symptom of the deeper problem, mm-hmm. then it's like, well, is this relationship really salvageable if John isn't able or isn't willing to make the effort to see things from Paul's perspective mm. and and he's willing to do all this to Paul, then how long is this relationship going to be viable? I, I definitely think that's a fair question. Mm-hmm. And I think it's fair to point out that, you know, John should have been able to do that. Yeah. And it, it does seem like, I mean, at least based for, based on the um, McCartney remembers, you know, based on the Evening Standard <laughs> interview, uh-huh. it does seem like Paul is capable of doing that. Mm-hmm. So we so I think it's fair to say if Paul is capable of seeing all sides and seeing your point of view and even being empathetic to it and articulating it better than you do, mm-hmm. then why should we not expect John to be able to do the same? And if John can't, then doesn't that mean that's a relationship that should end? But in John's defense, okay, uh-huh. he is extremely isolated right now totally he's in a rock star bubble echo chamber there's no shortage of you know malevolent forces trying to get stuff from them so if it hadn't been klein it eventually probably would have been someone else or something else you know he's also been singled out recently as a man of the decade a lot of people are blowing smoke up his ass right now yeah and he's on a mission to save the world i think he's he buys all that you know like he's he really does feel like he has moral superiority (laughs) at this point like he has like he's because he's on a righteous crusade he's got the moral high ground yes so i feel like he's in just a potent combination of purpose-driven righteousness Mm -hmm. egomania and i don't think he sees himself as being fallible maybe maybe Mm -hmm. well and he's being you know fed a lot of bullshit by a master con man yeah and and that's not to say that you know someone else couldn't have done the same thing to paul if they you know were able to prey on all of paul's yeah yeah yeah. vulnerabilities and tell him all the wrong things and you know uh sow seeds of distrust between him and the others like i'm for sure any any one of them i'm sure could have been taken in by the exact right con man for them (laughs) just client happened to be perfect for john and got there first yes that's an excellent point so they're in a very vulnerable position with all the money and fame yeah and power that they have they're they're in a you know that makes them targets to those kind of machinations Alrighty, back to the evening standard with ray Connolly. 
Paul finishes with a mention of wanting to make an animated film of Rupert the Bear, which we all know that Paul ultimately achieved this goal in the early 80s, but uh, here it is. It's on his mind in 1970. And as we learned in the lyrics book even earlier, because Paul mentioned in that book that he talked to John about it at some point and that John was very encouraging. Aw. Yeah. Like, we know this is a dream of his from, from you know, childhood, really. But, yes. like, the idea of turning it into a movie is something he had in his early 20s. And, and it is something that he goes on to accomplish in his 40s. And it's so important that Paul has, has already... It's April 22nd. You know what I mean? Like, the body is still warm on the Beatles. He is already, like thinking in terms of other things he would like to do with his life you know like yeah. other long-term like projects and it's never fucking mentioned like no beatles book gives a shit no one has ever even bothered to mention it let alone like wax poetic about it mm -hmm. paul's just floundering he's just he's nothing without the beatles he's a shell of a man well ex exactly he has the beatles were the beginning and end of his, of paul's dreams yes exactly yeah. And even he said, like, they were my whole life, you know? Yeah, I was fully in. I was completely invested. I was tied up in the Beatles from head to toe, which is true. To That's the difference from saying, like, I had no outs, other ambitions in life. You know, I had nothing right. else in my life I wanted to accomplish and that there was nothing. And chapter end on Paul McCartney. He's dead. after, yeah. Like, you know, he's not important <laughs> after that. Right. Yeah. The last thing we would like to add before we wrap up our analysis of these events is a piece written by Derek Taylor for Sunday Magazine on July 26th. This is a fascinating little obituary, so to speak, a little post-mortem on the Beatles. Derek, remember, is their publicist. And so he does a good job summarizing the points of view and experiences of the various Beatles as well as sharing events from his own perspective and using direct quotes from each Beatle as support. Again, it's a great piece. We will link to it. Good to read the whole thing. But he reconstructs the origins and the downfall of Apple, which are interesting to hear. Obviously, he was front and center in that, <laughs> in the whole endeavor mm. there. And I just want to share like one little part here. He writes, for Paul, Apple's evolution was a shattering disappointment. It was a four beetle trip, but the rocket had been Paul. And then he goes on to explain basically how it just descended into chaos, like what Paul's original vision was. But the main point we want to pull out is his summary of where all the Beatles stand in summer of 1970. He writes, I guess the way it stacks up now and the way it was around the time when Paul dropped the big one is that he wants right out of it all and they don't. George was greatly disappointed that Paul should come off like he was injured by Klein, whom George believes to have greatly eased the effects of the present and ensured the safety of the future. George's view is, did you have to be so nasty? You can go so far, but you can never get back, and you can say things which get in the way forever. For me, I would be glad to play with all of us again. John's view is, Okay, if this is it, this is it. We've all left the Beatles anyway. If Paul were to approach him and say, let's do it together again, he probably would. 
with no more words, he probably would do it. Can I just point out, let's do it together again, is the way that John will phrase it later in the 70s. And so this makes me wonder if Derek is taking this talking point from John. He is their publicist. And he is, he and John are close. Derek was probably closest to John out of them all. Well, why would Derek go out on a limb and just invent this mm. point of view from John? Like, why, what, why would he do that? Yeah. Yeah. But my point is maybe John asked him to. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If he didn't get that request or at least that vibe off of John, why would he risk making John angry? <laughs> by going out and sort of contradicting what John has been saying about already leaving the Beatles and not caring. And it's Paul who wants out most of all. Yeah. Which of course he does because he's the one who filed suit. Exactly. You know. And we can see it. I mean, we we just went through the evening standard. He's unequivocal. He's very clear. He's very transparent about what he wants and why. Mm-hmm maybe paul was the saddest about it i agree and maybe he had less complaints about john and george than they had about him correct i'm Mm -hmm. not disputing that that's the case however i don't think that that means that john and george wanted to kill the beatles that's not the story it's not the case based on like we have all the evidence here yeah after the announcement George is still saying, I am down for re- for keeping the Beatles together, just for the record. Like, he's out there saying it in public. Yeah. But Paul yeah. was the one who was like, okay, I've had enough. You guys clearly don't. Exactly. There's no there's no love for me anymore. So I'm right. taking, I'm going, I'm leaving. You've made the- it clear that you don't want to treat me like an equal and that you don't want to work with me anymore. Why would mm-hmm. I stick around? Right. To cut Mikhail Gilmore a break, John and George are acting like they don't love or respect or even like Paul. So that's not an unreasonable conclusion when you just look at the cold facts of what's going on at this time. But Derek, who has been intimate with the Beatles for years, would be privy to more information. He would understand the Beatles and their relationships better. And we agree with his assessment and it's just maddening to me that the narrative at some point tilted so drastically into the one that we have been stuck with Mm -hmm. because derek seems pretty clear on the reality of the situation here after this point the history of the beatles descends into politics mythology and partisanship and it's been stuck there ever since. When I find myself in times of trouble, Mother Mary comes to me, speaking words of wisdom, let it be. Yeah, so that's the end of the Beatles. Paul eventually files a lawsuit to dissolve the band on December 31st, 1970, and the rest, as they say, is history. Hmm. That part is sad. (laughs) (laughs) true true yes but on the sunny side uh john and paul do make up and repair their relationship 
Of course, things definitely do get a lot worse before they get better. But they are back to talking on the phone and being besties. If they ever really stopped, which they probably didn't. By the end of 1971 or beginning of 1972. Yeah. Of, of course, there is an epic level of public fighting in the meantime. And that could make its own series. <laughs> it, it, it could. <laughs> anyway, we'll never know precisely what turned things around between them. We know John sent a letter to Paul in fall of 71 using Ray Connolly to personally deliver it <laughs> overseas to Cavendish. Of course, we don't know what was in that letter, and Paul says he's not going to tell us. But we do know John and Paul met in December 1971 and or January 1972, probably both, and agreed to stop fighting in public. Sometimes the song Dear Friend is credited with healing this rift, and sometimes Paul goes along with that and takes the credit. <laughs> um, but I'm a little skeptical of that. Uh, John did mention it. As far as I know, it was the only time he ever mentioned that song. But he did mention it specifically in reference to their public truce. Which, mm. to me, indicates that he probably took it in the manner in which it was intended. As a scolding reality check. Albeit with a wounded longing for reconciliation in the way that paul mccartney only can do it <laughs> yeah yeah but i can't imagine it warmed john's heart so much as it made him step back and take things down a notch no it's it's just not that warm of a song right i don't think it would make him go oh i don't think so either i think yeah. it'd make him go <clears throat> yeah okay fine <laughs> Well, you know, I was hurt too. Right. So I think it's more likely if a song was going to do that work, I think that the song that more likely thawed the ice was Jealous Guy. Yeah. Because regardless of what you might think of the quality of John's apology. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm less than impressed. I'm not I'm not big on the idea that I didn't mean to hurt you. Yes, you did. That is literally the point of what like you may regret it now but you definitely meant it at the time lashing out is not swallowing your pain well that's a good point it's like the opposite however i think paul would have been so eager to forgive john that pretty much all of john would have course. to do is apologize and blame it on his insecurity and you know remind paul of his jealousy and how he was really hurt and scared and i think paul would just fold like a napkin he's a sucker for john you know what would have gone a long way like the apology that really would have counted is if you had said publicly that public well exactly I, you know i write songs about what i'm feeling i was angry at paul i wrote how do you sleep i felt bad i wrote jealous guy okay i have jealousy issues all right Paul's my mm -hmm. best friend. Let it go, okay? Yeah. I put myself in my art. You can take the art for what it is, but leave me exactly. alone about it. Yeah, and that's the other thing. It's like, yeah, okay, you can apologize secretly in a song that no one knows is for Paul, but you can't apologize publicly. How sorry are you really then? 
Yeah. Well, and like I said, that would have gone such a long way. Exactly. To taking care of the problem. Because if he said, like, I act crazy when I get jealous, that mm -hmm. immediately puts how do you sleep in perspective. Right. It takes away, like, half of the damage. Exactly. Really. But anyway. <laughs> anyway. It was good enough for Paul, I guess. Yeah. Big softy sucker. Or maybe it was shit that he wrote in the letter. I mean, we don't know. We're just we're just that's true. Guestifying right now. That's, <laughs> that's that that's the best that we can cobble together to figure out what got them talking together again in seventy two. And then of course later in the year, when John invites Paul to play at Madison Square Garden, and Paul says no because of Klein, I think that was probably huge in terms of getting john to understand where paul was coming from because shortly thereafter in 1973 john does break up with klein and he publicly says that perhaps paul's suspicions were right i don't want to go into the details of it let's say that possibly paul's suspicions were right and then in the song i know i know from summer 1973 john explicitly says now my eyes can see I put myself in your place like you did for me. So it seems as though he really did manage to finally see things from Paul's perspective. And Paul did see things from John's point of view as well, because he said many times that John acted the way he did because he was hurt and because he was a jealous guy. Okay. You know, he was going through, I'm just a jealous guy. I'm, he was a paranoid guy. So I guess the answer to that original question we posed, could they have fixed things if they had talked openly and honestly, is, well, <laughs> they managed to heal their friendship at least most of the way, if never 100%. And they eventually, I guess, agreed to disagree on Klein. <laughs> I mean, John never said that he regretted Klein because he's in his no regrets, mm -hmm. but he definitely came to see Klein for what he was. Right. Like he definitely soured on Klein. So sure. Yeah. And as far as playing together again, it never happened, but they got close a few times and it definitely could have happened in the eighties if John hadn't been killed. Personally, I think it's good that they broke up when they did obviously i think it's a shame that things got so nasty and out of control but i do think the breakup was probably best for them musically even if none of them really wanted it at the time john said numerous times in the 70s you know in retrospect that they were all really scared to be on their own after the breakup and i'm sure he's right of course they talk all the time about how important it was that there were four of them that they could share that burden and be there for each other and support each other and protect each other but the end of the beatles does not spell the end of john and paul their story is far from over in 1970 hmm. and if you'd like to hear more about that Check out our five-episode series entitled Pizza, Pizza and, and Fairy Tales. Pizza! Pizza, Pizza and Fairy Tales! And fairy tales. 
I know the feeling once you've like gotten to the end of the series and you're like, no, I'm out of uh, episodes. If you find yourself at that place right now, there are five more. Feel free to binge yes. pizza or or take it slow. <laughs> Either way, I'm not gonna tell you how to do it. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you to everybody for listening to this series. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. All right, everyone. I need to issue a mea culpa here about the dates of Beatles releases versus solo releases, which I reported in episode four. I swear on a stack of Bibles, I double, triple checked the numbers in advance, but my eyeballs and brain are apparently broken. Suffice to say, Give Peace a Chance was not released four days before the Get Back single. It was released in July, not April. I transposed some numbers there. Um, but that's not all, I'm afraid. Also, <laughs> Cold Turkey was not released October 30th. It was released October 24th. So six days before something slash come together, not one day, as I so bitchily <laughs> I'm, glad, I'm glad I was so incensed about it. Anyway, I, I have no excuse for that. Didn't have anything to do with transposing numbers. I was just hallucinating <laughs> for no reason. So anyway, I apologize to you. I apologize to Phoebe, to the world. You could argue that time is a construct and numbers are meaningless, <laughs> but I would argue back that also I am just stupid. <laughs> that said, I did just discover that John and George's solo records, Life with the Lions and Electronic Music were actually re released on the same day. So I guess that's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> and I absolutely think our point still stands. There are still yes. seven Beatles slash solo Beatle recordings that were released within seven or fewer days of other Beatle releases, plus a kajillion examples of releases, eight, you know, or more, eight to like two weeks apart, which is... Wait, not eight to two weeks apart. Eight days <laughs> to two weeks apart. No, just stick with days. Just say eight or two days. You freak show. Why are you converting to different units? <laughs> It's eight to fourteen days apart, which is still quite close. Thank you to Tumblr, our Tumblr friends, for pointing that out. And I'm sorry. Yeah, but you're right. The point still stands. There's plenty of examples. They just weren't the ones you gave. <laughs> well, most of them were. Yeah. So the White Album and Two Virgins were seven days apart, and then something come together single was just seven days before John and Yoko's wedding album. And Cold Turkey was six days before. Yeah, not one. Not one. Not one. Still pretty close, though. Still closer than seven days. Yeah, still less Which than a week. Which was apparently too stupid to do when it was Paul's That's album. right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Dear, Dear sir, sir or madam, if you read, you read my book, Spectre fucked it up. Will you take a look? <laughs> <laughs> it's got singing ladies and a harp. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah. I would never put ladies on a Beatles album. What the hell? <laughs> <laughs>